the summer between my sixth and seventh grade year, I had one of those childhood epiphanies, if you will. Uh, really not an epiphany, but it's the only word I could think of. It was one of those indelible memories that you have that uh, we all have from our childhoods that, that just plants itself on your heart. It's just one of those things that writes itself on your heart, and, and you can think back and when you think back of that time, you can remember the smells, you can remember all the sounds, you can remember everything around it. And that was one of those times for me that summer. It was June of 1977. Uh, school had just let out. We were uh, going into seventh grade, so we were 12, 13 years old, middle school students, me and my friends in my neighborhood, and uh, bored. Didn't have anything to do, and one of our friend's parents suggested maybe we go to the movies. There was a new movie that just come out, and uh, I'd never heard of it. It had kind of flown in under the radar, and uh, none of my buddies had heard about it. And so we said, sure, we'll go to the movies. And so this mom drops us off at the old movie theater in our town, and the town I grew up in outside of Houston, same time my parents, my mom, my dad grew up in, and so it was a, uh, uh, you know, kind of a legacy town, and the movie theater in town was the same theater that my dad had gone to as a child, and so I'd heard, it just held a special place in our hearts, because we'd heard all the time growing up how much that movie theater meant to my dad. He talked about going and, you know, taking a dime and getting to watch two movies and a cartoon in between and spending all day there, and so this was a, the old theater. It was in the downtown on the main street, Texas Avenue, which was the main street of our town and what made it cool was it was a huge theater like the old theaters that they build that had a, uh, a stage in front of the theater it had a balcony and you know when you're 12 years old to sit in the balcony is the coolest thing in the world then when I became a uh, high school student the balcony became cool for other reasons but when I was 12 it was cool to sit up in that balcony and and uh, you know just take in the whole theater and I can remember I knew something was different as his mom dropped us off and we walked to the box office and when we walked up to the box office there was was a line of about a hundred people trying to get into the theater and I'd never seen a line trying to get into the theater up until that point in my life I, I thought what well, are they giving away something is something going on here and, and we asked as we were going to the box office I said what are y'all waiting in line for they said we're waiting in line to get into the movies so we went and bought our tickets and we didn't know what all the fuss was we got in line and as we were standing in line we had to wait about 10-15 minutes for the line to start to move and people began to talk and there was a guy in front of us that was talking about the movie it only been out a week he'd already seen it four times in that week and he was just going on and on and as I listened to people around us many of them had already seen the movie and there was for the first time in my life this buzz this energy about something we were about to do it was the only time I've ever felt it up until that point except that like a football game or a high school football game and so there was this energy there and we kind of got excited even though we didn't know what we were going to and so I can remember as, as vivid as I'm standing here now going in we went up to the balcony we sat towards the back in the middle sitting there and the theater got dark and all of a sudden as we were sitting there the words of this movie began to to flash across the screen it started out with words and these words were coming at us and this music was building and there was a tempo and i remember getting caught up into it and all of a sudden the the title placard came on and and it just boom right in front of your face and these starships start flying around and from that moment to the closing credits i don't think i moved i don't think my head moved i was so enraptured as a 12 year old and what I was seeing, it was so different from anything I'd ever seen before. 
Now, I know people today, they might call that movie A New Hope, but to me, it is and always has been Star Wars, and it will always be Star Wars to me. And in that moment, seeing Star Wars for the very first time was so different for me. That summer, I saw it five more times. Uh, When Empire came out, I saw it on the day it came out. I waited a longer line than that. When Return of the Jedi came out, I waited a longer line than that. Uh, I loved Star Wars. I won't get into the, the most recent three, because I don't count them as part of Star Wars, but I love Star Wars. Now, I'm not one of those nerds that dresses up and goes to the movies, and if you do that, more power to you. That's not who I am, but I am a huge Star Wars fan. And when you talk about the movie and you talk about the memories and you think about seeing it as a child, I think what attracted me most was not all the special effects. And those were cool. We'd never seen anything like that before. They were revolutionary for their time. And not the lightsabers and the creatures and the characters and talking robots. Those were all so cool. But what got me there and what made me want to go back and see it and what keeps me going to see it whenever it's on is the story. Because you see, the story was a universal story. It was a story that a lot of us can relate to. It's a story of this young guy that was a farmer on this outer planet. He lived with his aunt and his uncle on this outer planet, which is Tatooine, if you don't know. It has two suns, three moons, the Jawa people there, sand people. It's kind of nerdy there. But, you know, it, it was where he was out in the outer realm. And he had no idea who he was. He was being raised as a farmer with these relatives that he barely knew. And he had no idea that his destiny was so much greater than what he was experiencing. And the movie is wrapped around him discovering who he really is. That he's not just a farmer. And that who he is influences and changes everything about him. It changes his life. It changes his future. It changes his destiny. And in Star Wars talk, it changes the galaxy. But as you hear that story, we can all relate to it. We can all understand not really in knowing who we are, where we fit in, and how it shapes who we become. And in a real, real sense... The book of Ephesians, which we're going to start studying this morning, is just like that story. It doesn't have the lightsabers, doesn't have all the crazy characters, but it's the same story. It's the Apostle Paul's letter to the church. It's the Apostle Paul's letter to Christians about understanding who they are in Christ. What is your identity? Not only who you are, but how understanding who you are will shape everything that you do. It will shape your life. It'll shape your marriage. It'll shape the way you raise your kids. It'll shape the way you plan. It'll shape your job. It'll shape your destiny. But the problem that Paul was having when he wrote this letter is the same problem we have in the church today. So many people do not understand who they really are in Christ. See, so many people, even those that have been in church, and I can remember in my life, I was in church for 15 or 20 years before I ever really grasped the truth of who I am in Christ. And Paul understood that these new believers, these new churches as they were springing up, weren't really grasping who they were and what Jesus Christ had given them. They understood salvation. They understood that we'd been given grace. They understood that their destiny had changed, where they would spend eternity, but they didn't understand all that it entailed being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes this letter to this new fragile church and to the believers in that church about how they can embrace who they are. Now, 
We are starting a new series this morning. This is the first. So a lot of it's introduction, but I wanted you to grab a hold of one central truth this morning that I think if, if you can't grasp this, the rest of the book will be a difficult part for you. Because you see, it's, it's the idea of who you are this morning. Not who the world thinks you are, not who uh, you, know, you think what it means to be a Christian is, not what you grew up in church identifies you as, but who you are in Christ. You see, if you don't understand who you really are in Christ, you'll never understand the rest of the book of Ephesians because he, he goes on to explain all that you have available to you. Now, I'd like to tell you this is going to be a 10-week study or a 20-week study, but I have no idea because the book of Ephesians is an incredible book. It is a life-changing book. And so I'm going to challenge you that, that we are going to walk through this and study this as long as the Holy Spirit has us in it. Now, I have a plan. I have an outline. I have an idea. But I believe there are some times that we will camp on some passages, and God will just leave us there until it becomes a part of us. You know, you could... Chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, you could preach on that for months and months and months, and we would walk out of here still not grasping it, still not wrapping our head around the truths that are found in just those 14 verses. And so I don't know, but I want to encourage you to try to be here every week. If you miss, go online, listen to the messages, bring your Bible, because I want you to find how rich this book is, because there's going to be times in your life that the world is going to lie to you, that the enemy is going to come against you, and you'll be able to go to this book and look and claim the promises that are in this book. And so I want you to find it, read along, mark along with it, not what I have to say, but what the Holy Spirit says to you. And go through, read it at home, let it become a part of you. Because see, this is the truth. This is the truth that will change you. This is the truth that will set you free. All I'm doing up here is helping the Holy Spirit explain what this is. And so my prayer is that you'll come each week as we look at this as a church and as individuals and say, Holy Spirit, teach me something today. Holy Spirit, show me something today. And I'm praying that he will write these truths on your heart as we go through this study. That's how life-changing I believe this is. You know, as I said, the book was written to early Christians, early churches, the ones who didn't grasp how they'd been transformed. They didn't grasp what it meant to be a Christian. They didn't understand all that they had available. And I would venture a guess that there's some here this morning that, that if I was to ask you, you could say that's probably who you are, that, that you have been a Christian for a while, maybe since a child, maybe as a teenager, but you struggled. You struggle with the idea of, of surrendering everything. You struggle with the idea of giving God control of every area of your life. And, 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 and you start out good. Good intentions, and you start out fast, but everything that you start out in, you kind of end up limping along. You kind of run out of gas. And you look at other Christians in the church, and you say, man, they make it look so easy. They make it look like, you know, they've got something that I don't have. What, what do they have, and, and how do they do that when I don't understand how to do that? Well, I would, I would suggest that maybe that's because you're not understanding and embracing and claiming the promises that God has for you. And that's who the book of Ephesians is written to. That's the beauty of us getting into this book and understanding it was written for us. Uh, Some scholars have described the book of Ephesians as the believer's bank or the Christian's checkbook because it explains all the riches that you and I have already within us that we don't understand. All of the things that God has implanted in us through Christ Jesus that we're not using 
that we're not claiming, that we're not grabbing a hold of, that we are not walking out in our day-to-day lives. And so what I'm hoping is as we study this book, you'll begin to grasp who you are in Jesus Christ. Because before you can grasp any of that other stuff, you have to get that up. So if you have a Bible, you got your blue sheet, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read first couple of verses. Really, we're just going to stay in verse 1, maybe verse 2 a little. Um, but, but I wanted you to see a little bit of this. Now, you understand, give you some, some outline form. Those of you that like outlines, Ephesians is broken down into two very clear sections. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3 are theological in nature. It is Paul unpacking the rich truths of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be the church, and what God has given the church and the believer to live the life he's called us to. Chapters, it's theological. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are the practical things. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are are the ways that Paul is explaining what it looks like when we believe those things. If you believe that that's true in chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is how you'll live. This is how you'll treat your wife. This is how you'll treat your husband. This is how you'll live your life every day. It's very, very practical. And so as we go through this, we're going to spend some time in the theological stuff, but there'll still be some practical everyday application as we walk through this. So let's look. I'm going to read, like I said, the first three verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. And like I said, we're, we're going to spend today verses 1 and 2, and I wanted to read 3 to you because I wanted to give you a tease for next week. Because if you read verse 3, you'll see that already Paul is jumping into the promises of God. Every blessing in Christ Jesus. But let's go back to verse 1. Right off the bat, we find out who the author is. He says, Paul. And this is common for Paul to write. We know him uh, originally as Saul. He was the persecutor of Christians. He was the Pharisee. He was the religious leader. He has the conversion on the road to Damascus. He, He all of a sudden has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. It changes him. He becomes Paul. He becomes uh, the, the, the earliest missionary that began to spread the gospel. He took the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, we know him as Paul. And, and this is his common way of opening his letters. Matter of fact, every letter that Paul writes, that we know Paul wrote, starts the same way. It's a very common greeting. Most uh, people in that day, especially Greek writers or those that were writing in Greek, would start out by identifying themselves. And then he says, uh, not only who he is, he identifies his authority. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, Paul identified himself as an apostle all the time. In almost every letter, he calls himself an apostle. Now, the word apostle simply means the one who is sent. And the apostles were the ones that Jesus used to establish the church. They were the foundational members, the creators of the church. And Paul is coming and writing this letter not on his authority, but on the authority as being an apostle, one called by Christ, and the authority as one who God has called by God. That is his authority. See, Paul recognized that his authority wasn't in his titles. He'd been a Pharisee. He'd been a religious scholar. He he was a Roman citizen. He could speak many languages. Well, but that's not where his authority came from. His authority came from Jesus Christ. And he understood that he was called and set apart by Jesus Christ for a purpose. And that purpose was to take the good news to the lost. And that is what drove him 
to become the greatest missionary apart from Jesus Christ that we read about in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's on one of those missionary journeys where he comes across Ephesus, the town where this book gets its title. On a second missionary journey, Paul is traveling around Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, where we would call the coast of Turkey. And, and the leaders in Ephesus, those that were just starting to spread the gospel, knew Paul was going to be close, and they asked him to come. And so Paul swings by, and he talks about it in Acts chapter 18. He, he can't stay long, but he swings by, and he goes to the religious leaders. He goes to those that are trying to found a church, and he begins to talk with them about it. And he can't stay, but he has a heart for this city. And so we find out in chapter 18 of Acts that he leaves and leaves two of his companions, Priscilla and Aquila, there to help begin spreading the news of Jesus Christ. And Paul leaves. Now Ephesus... For those of you that like a little background or a little history, uh, Ephesus was a, a major town in Asia Minor. It was a well-known town. It was a town that we estimate had probably 300,000 or more inhabitants. It was on the Roman road. It was on the coast of, of modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And so it was a well-traveled city. It was known for its commerce. It was known for, for all the, uh, the, the wisdom and the teaching and, and medicine, and it was also known for its warehouses. It was a, a great trade area, a great area of commerce. But it was also known because it contained one of the seven wonders of the world. You see, in Ephesus was the Temple of Artemis, or the Temple of Diana, as we know it in Greek culture. And the Temple of Diana was this huge statue of the Greek god Diana, enclosed in a, 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 a like a, a coliseum so that they could all come and worship. And so people from all over the Roman world and even Greek culture would come to worship at the Temple of Diana. And so Paul comes back to Ephesus, this incredible huge town, because he sees the potential and he begins to preach the gospel. He sees the potential in Ephesus so much that he stays there for almost three years and makes it the base of his third missionary journey, preaching the gospel. And the Bible tells us in Acts 19 that God began to do incredible things in Ephesus. Paul began to perform miracles. It said he healed people. It said he cast out demons. People began to come to know Christ. There was an excitement in town. So much so that people were getting saved and instead of taking their, their statues that they would all buy, their shrines of Diana or Artemis, the, this Greek Roman god, they were taking them and melting them and giving the money to the poor. And they stopped buying new ones. And Acts 19 tells us that the silversmiths in town began to get angry. They began to realize that God was changing people and people were giving their life to Jesus Christ. They were no longer worshiping the temple. They were no longer buying the shrines and it caused a riot. And after three years in Ephesus, Paul, because of this riot, left and he went to Macedonia and he would never go back to Ephesus again. He would have some conversation when he's coming back through on his last missionary journey. The leaders in Ephesus go and meet him on the way to Jerusalem, and they talk with him, and that's described in Acts 20, but he never goes back to Ephesus. Now, we also know Ephesus, if you study the New Testament or if you've read the New Testament, because it's where Paul sends Timothy. See, Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus when Paul writes First and Second Timothy, his young protege. Ephesus is also known to John. We know that John probably formed a church in Ephesus because he describes the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation as one of the seven churches in Asia. And he says that Ephesus, he says he knows their heart. They stick with purity, but they lost their first love. So Ephesus is a well-known church. But the irony 
is that the original context of this book does not include the name Ephesus. If you go back to the original manuscripts, it says to the church at, and there's a blank. And later on, knowing that this was sent to the church at Ephesus, they included the book title Ephesians. But it really wasn't sent to one church. It was sent to all the churches. It was a circular letter. It was a letter that was written to all of the people of the churches. And I love that idea because when you read the book of Galatians, you can say, well, Galatians was written to those in the Galatia area and Corinthians is written to the Corinths. But Ephesus wasn't written to one church. It was written to all the churches. And that tells me it's still a message that's relevant for you and I today. Paul says, I come to you with the authority of Jesus Christ. I come to you with the authority following the will of God. And this is the truth I want you to embrace. This is the truth I want you to grab a hold of. So if we don't know really what church he's writing to, we do know specifically who he is writing to. Look what he says in verse 1 at the end of verse 1. To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ. He's writing to the believers in Christ, the faithful. Now this is what I want you to grasp this morning. This is our one truth. Ten years after he'd last seen him, Paul writes this letter to this struggling, newly found church. And the first thing he wants them to understand is who they are in Jesus Christ. And so he purposefully uses a term that is very unfamiliar to you and I. But it's the truth that I want you to grasp this morning. Look again at the end of verse 1. He says, to the who? Who does he write it to? Say it again, to the who? To the saints. Now is he talking about the Roman Catholic uh, people that are giving sainthood by the priest to the Pope later on after they die because he's done good. No, that's not he's talking to. Is he talking to religious leaders, theologians maybe? That, they would be saints. That's not who he's talking to. Is he talking to spiritual super believers? That's who we think of when we think of saints. That's not who he's talking to. Maybe he's talking to to those who have persevered in the church and struggled and have done great things. That's not who he's talking to. Maybe he's talking to a football team from New Orleans, right? That's not who he's talking to. See, the word here, saints, is the Greek word hagios. And hagios in its plural form just simply means set apart. It's also used in the New Testament to describe the word holy. See, when we say God is holy... We use the word hagios in Greek. That's where it's found. And that what we're saying when we say God is holy is that God is set apart. God is different from everything else in creation. When we say holy, 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 it doesn't mean that he's special. It doesn't mean that, that his name is above all names. Those things are true. But what we're saying is that God, we recognize that there is no other God like you, that you are set totally apart from all creation. And Paul chooses to use this term to describe you and I, saints. I want you to try to wrap your head around that a minute. Because this is where we struggle. 63 times in the New Testament, this term is used. And every time it's used to describe those that are set apart by God. Or those that are set apart for God. That's you and I. 
I want you to think about that for a minute. Now I want you to do more than that. I want you to say, I'm a saint. Say it. I'm a saint. You don't believe it, do you? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a saint. It was hard, wasn't it? It's hard to say. Why? Because we think it's prideful, right? Sounds kind of prideful. I'm a saint. I'm not a saint. Those of you that know my life, I'm not a saint. But to God, when He sees you, you're a saint. You see, I'm not a sinner anymore. We like to use the terms because it sounds so much more humble. We say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's a lie. I was a sinner. I'm not a sinner anymore. I am now a saint. Now, I'm a saint that occasionally sins, but I'm not a sinner anymore. And you see what Paul wants you to wrap your head around, what you've got to grasp before you can ever embrace all that Christ has done for you is embrace who you are in Jesus Christ. You have a new identity. You are changed. You are different. You're not some poor, lowly sinner. You are a saint. You are set apart by God. And if you can ever begin to grasp that. You see, we, we struggle with it. You know why we struggle saying it when you said it? You know why it felt weird? Because you don't believe it. And that's where the water hits the wheel. That's where Christians have problems. That's where we struggle. Because until we can take it and digest it and let it move from our head to our heart, we'll never begin to walk it out. And the devil will continue to keep us beat up and bruised and down because he's convinced us that we're not who Jesus calls us to be. And Paul, in starting this letter, is trying to remind us, listen, you are a saint. You're set apart. You are created to be holy. I've been changed into a child of God. You see, I have a new identity. And until you embrace that identity... You'll never embrace all the gifts that God's planned for you. All of the promises God has for you. All of the power that God has instilled in you in Christ. That's what he's talking about in verse 3. It says, before you understand that you have every blessing in Jesus Christ. Now, he's not talking about riches. He's not talking about fame. He's not talking about fortune. See, those are things that the world calls blessings. He says, you have every blessing. What does that mean? Abundant life. You have grace and forgiveness and unconditional love and hope. All those things. But you see, we struggle with embracing those because we can never get past the idea that I, in Jesus Christ, am a saint. It's not being bragging. It's not proud. Why? Because it's not based on me. It doesn't have anything to do with what I did because I'm not a saint. But you know what? Jesus took a wrecking ball to that person that wasn't a saint. That's why Paul says, I'm a new creation. See, when God changed me, He didn't make me better. My salvation was not a renovation project. God didn't come in and go, Rusty, you're pretty good here, and you got this, and you got this, and and I like this, and so I'm going to make those things better. No, God took a wrecking ball and knocked down everything to the foundation. And said, you are no longer that person. You are no longer rusty that everyone used to know. That is not who you are. Now you are a saint. Because I have rebuilt you. I have remade you. I have reclaimed you. And you have a new identity. And you have a new destiny. And you have a new purpose. 
See, so many of us, we're living over here in our renovation projects. We're living over here buying the lie that I can try harder and I can give it more effort and I can do these things and and I'm going to help God out. God doesn't need your help. All He needs you to do is wave the white flag that we learned a couple of weeks ago. And He'll do the rest. And He'll take that broken down foundation that He has knocked and torn asunder and He will rebuild something new. And that that He rebuilds is a saint in His image with His power. You have a joint inheritance with Jesus Christ. We read where Paul tells the Philippian church, I can do all things through Christ. And we say, man, that would be nice. See, Paul wasn't saying that as a suggestion. Paul was saying that, claiming it, because he knows that in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation, and he can do all things in Jesus Christ. See, Satan knows that he can beat the church up, and he can keep the church down and powerless, as long as we buy into the lie that we are who we were. I am not who I was. I am new, and I am his image. Why in the world, to go back to my first metaphor, Why in the world would I ever go back to being a farmer on Tatooine when I found out I'm a Jedi Knight? But you see, in the church, we do the same thing. Why is that so important? Why is it so important that you claim that, that you embrace it, that you believe it, that you boldly understand that you are new, that you are not the same, that you are different? Because you see, you and I will never act out in our behavior, in a way that is inconsistent with who we think we are. Because you see, who we think we are influences everything we do. And if I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I can do some things. If I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I'll give it a shot. I'll try But you see, if I'm a saint, a blood-bought child of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, understanding that I am created in His image, that I am set apart for His righteousness, His righteousness in me, listen, there is nothing I can't do. There is no mountain I can't overcome. There is no deep water that I cannot persevere through. Why? Because I am now His. Can you grasp that? Can you get your head around it? You see, until you can, you can't move on. You can't get to the next part. It's the only thing I want you to get. You say, what's the point today? The point is who you are in Jesus Christ. Satan cripples us with his lies. It's time to listen to the Apostle Paul. It's time to listen to God. It's time to listen to Jesus Christ. Who do you see when you look in the spiritual mirror? It's time to let go of that old... See, God knocked it down. I love the way Paul said, Paul compares it to a dead man. God knocked that old self down. And you know what I do? God's built me this huge mansion of a life, abundant life. He's given me everything that I need to do all I'm called to do in this life. Every bit of love, every bit of grace, every bit of forgiveness. And it's all mine. You know what I'm doing? I'm going over there and I'm scrapping bricks from the torn down place that he knocked down saying, maybe this will look good. I said, get rid of it. See, it's time we let go and embrace who God's called us to be. The book of Ephesians is about stripping away those deceptions and embracing who we are in Christ. You see, Paul wanted to start out this letter by making sure you understood 
You are a saint. Who do you see? Because who you see, who you hear, influences your destiny. About a month and a half ago, I preached on a Heinz Christian Anderson poem called The Snow Queen. It's where the movie Frozen came from. And it reintroduced me to Hans Christian Andersen. I'd forgotten that he was a believer and that most of his short stories and poems had Christian meanings, Christian underlining. And I went back and I rediscovered a poem or a short story that you and I all have heard since the time we were little kids. It's called The Ugly Duckling. You remember the story? All the eggs in a nest and they all hatch and one hatches and it looks so different from all the rest. They call him ugly because he didn't look like everybody else. He couldn't do what everybody else could do. He struggled along. And I, and I was reading that story and I imagine, I wonder how he felt. I wonder how frustrated it must have been for the duckling that was this ugly duckling to look at all the other ducklings and think, I, I'm not like them. I don't fit in. I can't do it the way they do it. Because you see, it's not to the end of the story that you find out he's not a duckling at all. He's a swan. And he was created for something different. And it was when he embraced the beauty of being a swan that it changed his life. And I think what Anderson is saying is the same thing that Paul is saying to you and I today. Some of you are living your life like an ugly duckling and God said you're a swan. Some of you are looking around and saying, I don't know how I can do it. It's because you're trying to do not what you were created to do. You were created for His purposes. The title of this series, To Be or Not To Be, yes, it's from Hamlet, Shakespeare. But the question Paul wants us to think about is are we going to be who He called and created us to be or not? That's the question this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. God, I pray that in this room there'll be one or two that will really get a hold of the idea of who they are in you. That, Father, they, some that have been in church all their life and they've never grasped that. They've never really understood who they are in Christ. They've never really embraced who they are. They, they've scuttled along. They've tried to be something that they're not. They've tried to make it work instead of just surrendering. And Father, I pray this morning they'll hear your voice and your Holy Spirit speaking to them saying, Child, you are a saint. You are a saint. And all the blessings of heaven have been given to you in Jesus Christ. I'm not a saint because of what I've done. I'm a saint because I surrendered and it's what Jesus is doing in and through me. But that knowledge changes me. I live differently. I think differently. I act differently. I still fail. I still make mistakes. But I'm not a sinner. Sin has no hold over me. I'm a child of God. Father, I pray we would learn to live that. Let us embrace your voice, your calling on us this morning. In your name we pray.
Amen. We're going to worship. I just want you to let that truth wash over you this morning. You won't get your head around it because it's so hard.